generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus-y podcast about race from the perspective of an Asian guy, a black girl, and a white guy too. I'm Andrew. I'm Asian. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Bethany. I'm a black woman, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Chris. I'm white. I use he, him pronouns. So we got a bunch of interesting responses about our previous episode with Tess, where we were talking about... um, white passing and kind of the social construction of whiteness and stuff like that. Uh, Rand wrote in to say that uh, listening to Tessa's experience really brought out how messy socially constructed designations can be. Her story reminded me a lot of things my Nana told me about how her Yugoslavian parents couldn't, uh, wouldn't share their language or much about their culture. The journey into American whiteness always begins with a lie and an erasure of the past. It's like carving a hole in your heart Uh, and you must then fill with contrived U.S. propaganda. It makes sense that people who overtly uplift white identity are so insecure and don't know much about history. Anyway, the things you bring up are consistently challenging, and I appreciate it. Uh, Rand goes on to to talk comments on um, kind of our discussion about Jesus' interaction with the Syrophoenician woman. Um, And he brings up some stuff that uh, Johnny kind of brought up too, um, which is that there there, there is some nuance, and we did address this a little bit, you know, between the kind of power dynamics at play, Jesus is a Jew, the Syrophoenician woman is another uh, minority, kind of, I say minority, but she's kind of a, she's she's not a Roman, I guess. She's, neither of them are in power. And we kind of touched on that. Um, and I, I think we touched on this too. But we're, what we're, when we're talking about that story and its connection to our kind of our current cultural moment, we're not trying to say that like our interpretation of whiteness and otherness and that sort of thing goes back to Jesus's time. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we're doing is taking our experience and using it to be kind of in dialogue with scripture. I think Mm -hmm. think that's fair to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The way I relate to this story and the way I relate to Jesus in this story comes from my personal experience. Right. Um, Yeah. Uh, We appreciate those comments and uh, keep them coming by emailing us at circlemobilizing at gmail.com or on our Facebook at facebook.com slash color correction podcast. So there's a, there's a global pandemic going on and the United States has royally fucked up its response to it. As we all know at this point, you know, the funny thing is like a month ago, like, or like, I don't know, two months ago, I was like, there's no country on earth that hasn't gotten this, this under control in two months. So, like, no matter how bad things look now, we'll be okay. <laughs> but somehow the United States has managed to be the only country that uh, has not gotten it under control. I mean, obviously things are worsening in other places, but the United States, a supposedly first world country, were still in the grip of this global pandemic. And not only then, but somehow being safe from it has become a political issue. Mm-hmm. And like whether you should wear a mask or something is suddenly a left and right thing. Right. And Crazy. Should, it's just insane. Donald Trump refuses to wear a mask. And then <laughs> in response to his refusal, Joe Biden like proudly wears a mask. Oh, and it's just God. so weird. It is. Yeah. It is so weird because you would think that if there's one thing people can agree on, it's that 
you know, maybe people shouldn't get a deadly disease. Uh, but somehow that it has become a political thing. And that and it seems crazy. Oh, yeah, this time feels really crazy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so seeing how the U.S. is doing compared to like a lot of other countries, um, I think is just generally also driving my existential despair about existing in this time period. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is rooted in my in my kind of desire right now to uh, just escape, like escape this moment, escape this place. Just because so, like it's gotten to the point where like Facebook is advertising Canadian visas to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you know, it's gotten bad when when the uh, when the oh, Facebook algorithm yeah is talking to you. Okay. <laughs> So I was thinking to myself, like, who do I know that has been through this? Not because I realistically am able to pick up and move, but just because, like, that's how I'm feeling right now. And I was like, you know what? Actually, by obviously my mom, my my parents did. So I gave my mom a call to talk to her a little bit about this. And uh, her experience isn't exactly the same as mine uh, or or isn't exactly the same as how I'm feeling now, but I, I did think it was still interesting. So I sent you guys the file. If you guys want to uh, mute yourselves and we can listen to it and, and talk a little bit about what comes up. We want to do that. Yeah. Cool. Hello, Andrew. Yeah. Hey, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Very good. We're at the, at, on the podcast. I think we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things, but is it okay if I ask you some questions? Um, do you know... Well, you should go in the, in the, in the pod, inside of the pod something. This is for a, my podcast. It's a radio show. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Is it okay if I ask you some questions? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. And I'll just record this and put it into the podcast. Record. Yeah. That's fine. I'll just translate for you. Do you remember what year... You came to the United States? 1983. Mm-hmm. And did you, you came over with your parents? They came first. And I came, you know, later. Why did they decide to come to the United States? You know what? Uh, I think, you know, basically that my father always thought that, uh, you know, the education for children and they, they didn't expect that that take, took so long that every time I was only in college. And also, another thing is a political consideration. Um, you know, actually, even in 1980s, Taiwan was still in the martial law. Taiwan actually was not was not a democracy. At that time, it was still quite very, like, dictatorship, you know, like KMT. You, you know, my, my uncle, Reverend Gao, actually uh, was the one who spoke, you know, the truth for the situation and was 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 arrested by the government. Mm-hmm. Do you remember if there was any thought into whether you should leave Taiwan or not? Or was it always just accepted that 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 it was better to leave? We, 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 we felt like that, you know, um, coming to the U.S. is always, you know, a dream come true. Mm-hmm. And we never really questioned about if we should not or we should actually feel like, yeah, that is... Probably home to be. Hmm. So you never, there was never any sense of, 
maybe uh, I don't want to say loyalty, but you didn't feel any kind of connection to Taiwan where you might want to stay in Taiwan. Well, you have to you have to differentiate about what you are loyalty to. Uh, definitely, I'm loyal to my hometown Taiwan. Okay, to my homeland Taiwan. But you know, I am not loyalty. I'm not loyal to to the KMT government. Yeah, I understand that. But like, okay. at what point do you think does your distrust of the government become stronger than your love of your country? We could see is, is we hope that you know at that time one day Taiwan will become a, de- uh, a democracy. But to do that, we feel we could contribute more from outside than inside. We came to the state mm-hmm. and we could actually you know a lobby or do something or you know um, mm-hmm. um, you know to pressure the government in Taiwan. Yeah, I mean, do you think that? So you 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 were saying that you had always thought of the United States as being a dream to go to, and going to the United States was a dream come true. Do you think the United States lived up to your expectations for it? Uh, I have to say that in certain way, okay, um, in certain way, this country and I would I would forever gratitude to this country, but of course. I have to say, I am very sorry to see this country to kind of become, I have to say, I hope, you know, this country will will become better. You feel like uh, this country, uh, if you get in, in a lot of uh, the justice issues. Yeah. I mean, think. I mean, I think the reason that I'm asking this is because I and I think a lot of other people are thinking about whether um, whether it's worth uh, whether it's worth staying in in this country or whether it's uh, whether it can be saved. Um, but it sounds to me like for you, when you left Taiwan, it wasn't you weren't weren't really abandoning Taiwan. You just felt like it was the. Well, first of all, you, it sounds like you always had this expectation that the United States was a better place to live, but also you felt you could still help Taiwan when you were in the United States. Is that right? Yeah, actually, you know, uh, for now, okay, but of course, you know, after 40 years, I think uh, it would be hard for me to go back there and live, you know, because uh, I think, you know, most of my life I've been in this country. And another thing is that, you know, um, Taiwan becomes a better country. Sometimes I have to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, I, I don't feel like, okay, now the country is better, so I go back to enjoy. I don't think they go back to be mine. You know, I think I, I, I made my choice to make U.S. my country and I'm going to with that. And I would always, you know, love my hometown, Colmaine. Okay. Mm, okay. Mm. 
cause not to support, you know, that, that is very hard, you know, because this country, sometimes I felt like, uh, you know, it's uh, lost its, its own, I have to say that integrity, and, and uh, sometimes, you know, I have to say that innocence. I, I feel, you know, U.S. needs to be more innocent and more, you know, kind of a, well maybe i mean that's possible but it also could be that you also just weren't as aware of its flaws okay all right well thanks for talking with me about this is it okay if i put this on my on my show i think it's pretty i think it's really good okay all right. Well, thanks for talking with me. Let me know if you get Stardew Valley working. Okay. All right. See you later. Bye. Okay. Are we good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I have a big old crush on your mom. That was so sweet. She's the best. We <laughs> yeah. love Lily Yang. Yeah. We stand. Definitely. Yeah. Lily Yang, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for doing that. I hate hearing my like how I sound talking to my mom on the phone because I feel like I just automatically go into like teenager mode where I sound a little uh-huh. bit whiny. Uh-huh. Um, like, uh, can we just can we just do this alone? Hate to break it to you, but you talk to her like that in person too. Yeah, I I have no doubt that I do. <laughs> yeah. So um, hopefully, I'll... my favorite thing is when she shows up randomly on you. I know. Yo, I love that so much. Uh, what okay. are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> this is my church, mom. This is my church. Uh, yeah, I, I, I spent. I mean, I spent my whole childhood just being Lily's kid. So it's like <laughs> I have like a visceral reaction to her showing up. It's like, no, mom, this is my thing. <laughs> I'm no longer just your kid. Yeah. Um, so I had that conversation with my mom and, um, you know, I, what do you guys think? I thought it was so interesting towards the end when she said um, the U.S. needs to be a little bit more innocent because yeah. to me that painted such a picture of like the idyllic angelic, um, probably like childlike promise of America that she expected. Mm -hmm. That language of innocent felt really interesting to me. Yeah. Like, like just in the last little bit, America has lost its innocence. Mm -hmm. I don't identify with that, but I also like, I also really feel for people who feel that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel for people who feel that way who have like immigrated to America. Yeah, I guess that's what I yeah. That that that's that's key for me too. Like listening to like the hope in in like the reasons your your mom came mm-hmm. and um the like sort of the and, and and the promises fulfilled for her too. That wasn't it wasn't just like a string of broken promises. Like things got better for for her in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I did think it was interesting when I was talking to her that she had this idea of the U.S. as like she, they never questioned that the U.S. was just going to be a better place to be. They just mm-hmm. it was kind of assumed because they were living under martial law. And also the fact that like 
moving to the U.S. for them wasn't abandoning their country. Right. Mm-hmm. And they found ways to advocate for, she found ways to advocate for Taiwan while she was in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. Which, like, I don't, um, it's, it is weird because I, I feel, I don't, uh, I don't feel like, I don't feel that strongly about anywhere. Yeah, like, you're going to go to Canada and, like, tell the Canadian government to, like, press for a better situation in the United States. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I feel that strongly about Philly. Mm. I don't feel that way about Pennsylvania or Delaware or the country. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm kind of interested in exploring. Yeah. Well, are you thinking of advocating for a certain thing or a certain country or like still believing in that country? I mean, both. Um, What I'm thinking about is the question that we come to again and again, which is at what point do you just throw up your hands and say this thing is too far gone? Mm hmm. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. I think mm. it was episode eight, Reform or Revolution. Right. Different yeah. white guy, though, just putting that out there. <laughs> yes. Yes. So this is... Shout out to Brian. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Brian. And this is Chris's turn to be involved in that conversation. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but in that conversation where we explored, like, there, this idea that there have been the, always these two impulses... In, in activism and in faith, the impulse to reform a thing and the impulse to, to leave it and build something completely new. Yeah, mm-hmm. Beth, you said you were always kind of on the side of revolution, whereas I, I had said that I was always kind of on the side of reform. In, in this particular moment right now, I, I think I'm feeling very strongly toward a revolution. Mm-hmm. I'm really feeling the, the, the idea that the system can't be salvaged is very prominent in my head right now. Earlier on in the week, Beth, you had expressed how, well, how should we walk through this? Because there are a bunch of different things that happened this week. Yeah. This week has been a fucking shit show. One of the things when you, when you said that the first time I was like, I hope years from now, when we listen to this episode again, that like this week stands out and we don't go like, well, which, which horrible week was that? Mm-hmm. Cause this right. week has been a shit show. Yeah. I mean, just going Roughly chronologically, at the beginning of the week, we were talking about was was Joe Biden was the Biden thing at the beginning of the week. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, where I kind of want to say what I said in the chat about Joe Biden, yeah. but I also don't know if I want that on the record for the rest of forever. But I have well, some choice words for Joe Biden. Well, first, let's put out what he did. Joe Biden is a racist son of a bitch, um, but he's the lesser racist than Trump. And in an interview with Charlemagne the God, a DJ out of New York, um, he was saying that if you can't decide, if if you're black and you can't decide um, between voting for him or voting for Trump, then you ain't black. That is the quote. Because an old white motherfucker gets to decide what is blackness for us. Down to the ain't. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so Beth, how did you feel when you heard the story? I was immediately enraged, and I even kind of stress ate. And I usually don't have like emotional responses like that mm-hmm. to um, political news. I can usually separate it out, but like 
just the state of this country and how shitty the Democratic Party treats us actually stresses me out. Mm -hmm. Like the Democratic Party is to black folks in this country what a raggedy boyfriend is when he knows you can't pay your rent and he makes all the money. That's what the Democratic Party is to black folks. Uh It makes me think about when Trump ran, one of the things he said here in Philly in a in an African-American church um, was, what do you have to lose? Have to lose. Right. Like, Which was actually a good point. Yeah. Like, boy, that turned out to be prophetic, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I say, I would very rarely say that Trump had a good point, but with the state of the Democratic Party towards Black people, that's what makes me say, that's a good point. What do we have to lose? Because we don't really gain that much from the Democratic Party. We just get, gain more of a disguise of racism, mm-hmm. but actual like change and actual people actually hearing us and knowing our experience. Yeah. That doesn't really happen. Yeah. I mean, bringing that to the subject of what we're talking about, it raises the question why, why then vote? Why participate politically? And I know both of you had have said some interesting things this week about what you're going to do with your votes. Or yeah, and I know we're we're still pretty far from November, but mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about how you're feeling and what's going through your heads? Beth, you want to start? Not particularly, because I feel like black people are going to shame me, like they were <laughs> fucking marching with Rosa Parks themselves. Well, um, but they were born in 1990 or something, so. I am I am more and more um, starting to believe less in the voting process in America. I think it's a gimmick that makes us feel invested, um, but I don't always feel like it actually affects any sort of change, right? Like the Electoral College kept us from getting Hillary, and I already didn't want to vote then. Um, so when that happened, it really like irritated me. But I also feel like even the people that we vote in aren't really trying to hear the the Black community and what's happening for Black people. I feel like they want to decide for us what is best for us. Um, And then if we don't agree with that, they tell us things like what Hillary Clinton said to a, a Black Lives Matter protester that pressed her out at an interview years ago um, <laughs> about uh, calling young black kids. She didn't, what did, she didn't call them thugs. What did she call them? Super predators. Okay. I was about to say super hoodlums. Yeah. Wow. Super predators. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but she up. said to her in 2016, well, why don't you run for something? Which is such a white lady response, right? Like, uh-huh. okay. You could just answer the question, but no, you have to be indignant. Um, So, yeah, I just feel like, yeah, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. Why am I going to waste my time voting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also have no faith in the Democratic Party. Um, And I like maybe it maybe it doesn't go without saying, but that's like that's also me saying I have no faith in the in the GOP. Like I'm not I really don't have a a dog in either of those fights, Um, especially after this week. It's just ridiculous. Um, and I, I have felt like 
the thing that I want to do is vote for an independent candidate. There's a, there's one that I really like. Um, Mark Charles, who um, we've actually met here in Philadelphia at Circle of Hope. Um, he's an independent candidate who's Navajo um, and is a scholar and a pastor. And um, before he ran, was like running for president, he was, he was running around the country talking about the doctrine of discovery and, and, and like trying to like talk about this broken narrative of the United States that starts with the genocide of, of his people Mm-hmm. But it, and includes um, the the black slaves and the and and the trajectory that that like racism has been on from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I like about him. Like he's like he hasn't really couched any of this, and he's open, and he actually is speaking from a place of personal experience. I don't think he stands a chance in hell for all those reasons. Cause he's too honest. And I like, I would fear for his life if he actually won the presidency but mm-hmm. he's the kind of person I want um, because I, I want a prophetic voice mm-hmm. at the center of this conversation. Yeah. So for you, what would it mean to you to cast a vote for him? Like what I feel like it, I was throwing it away or yeah, isn't the, or like, well, yeah. I mean the criticism, because you've acknowledged that he's not going to win. Yeah, he he doesn't really stand a chance. Uh, um, I hate to say that because like I really like him and I really want him to win. And I just don't know how it's going to happen. Right. Like I don't put a lot of faith in that either. Yeah. But I think about I think the thing for me is like that's where my heart is. Like if I vote for either of the two most popular candidates, I'm actually voting against myself mm-hmm. and what I feel. Yeah. Well, that reaction is interesting because I feel like Beth, you're saying kind of the same thing that like you can't it's hard for you to vote for after, after having that reaction to what Biden said, it's like, it, it would be difficult for you to vote for him. You would have a, a, mm-hmm. a you would have an, a, you have a, there, are, you feel a certain way about it. There are emotions wrapped up like in your gut. Right. I hate being forced into anything, mm-hmm. right? Like I hate feeling like I have to do something. Um, and I hate feeling like I have to settle for the lesser of two evils. Because Trump and Biden are both racist, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of internalized white supremacy. I mean, the levels and layers of internalized white supremacy for, like I said, an old white man to think that he's in enough just because he kissed a few black ass babies and spoke at my HBCU's graduation a couple of years ago, that he's in enough with black people to try and tap into the the dialect, right? Mm -hmm. And like also tap into inside jokes illustrates how much of a like internalized white supremacist man he is that he thinks that he can just have access to anything you don't get you ain't black jokes you are an old raggedy white man Mm. like that is what you is right so to think that you just have access because a couple of because you daft a couple of homies like no, everything doesn't belong to you. Everything that's a part of Black culture, you don't get to just tap into that when it's convenient for you. And the fact that you think you do have access tells me everything I need to know about you and your policies. And furthermore, Joe motherfucking Biden, I remember the way you treated Miss Anita Hill, right? I, I remember the way you treated a Black woman when she was accusing a Black man. And that's fine, you know. 
of sexually assaulting her. I remember that shit. So do you think I think that you're aligned with my black woman ass? Absolutely not. Absolutely you are not. But I'm forced into my hands are tied because there's such a either or system in America because everything in America is black or white. We don't really get options. We don't ever see gray. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't ever see nuance, right? Like that's why either you wear a mask because you're a fucking liberal or you don't wear a mask because you're a good old conservative, right? Mm-hmm. There's never any in between that makes any sense in America. I'm forced to vote for Joe Biden. Now shout out to Delaware but fuck Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so different from like a couple of years ago when Bethany and Arcel called him Uncle Joe. I know, because I bought it. But the fact that I, along with a lot of other black people, called him Uncle Joe is the reason he thought that he could say, you ain't black, right? right? Yeah. We invited him to the cookout. He ate some good ass banana pudding and he thought that he could go there. Mm-hmm. You can't go there. And you ain't invited to another goddamn cookout. (laughs) I'm totally against like fully embracing white people into the culture just because they kind of like act nice and maybe can do the electric slide. Like (laughs) that type of philosophy that I used to have is totally out the fucking window. Like you can be aligned, but your ass can get kicked to the curve real quick because that white supremacy is too deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even think Joe Biden probably thought anything he said was wrong until he got backlash. Yeah. Right. He probably thought that shit was so funny. Mm-hmm. No, no. Like, like Politicians don't apologize unless they get pushed back. Mm-hmm. Like, someone had to tell him that shit was racist and enough people had to tell him it wasn't just one person. He was, he, he slept just fine that night and he got up. He's like, Oh, I got to apologize now. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, the weird thing about this week is that we have seen white supremacy operating on every level from mm-hmm. from like the the big election to uh, Amy Cooper, a woman calling the cops on a black man who was who was birdwatching in New York City. Um, black while birdwatching. Holy shit. Funny thing. As soon as I found out that the black man <laughs> was a bird watcher i was like "Mm." (laughs) and i pictured somebody in my head right Uh when i saw the picture of that man i think his name i said oh that's exactly who i pictured that is exactly who i pictured he's a he he is a comic book editor yes really yes (laughs) yeah introduced the first lgbtq character into the star trek universe that's incredible he's got legacy a trekkie and a comic book editor is exactly who i pictured yeah when i heard when i heard he was bird watching and then he was like dogs disturb the ground birds. I said, "Oh, I know what this means." Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely looks apart. Mm-hmm. A white woman weaponizing the police explicitly yeah. and saying, "Like this is what I'm going to do." But let's detail from beginning to end what yeah. happened, right? So, Christian Cooper was out in Central Park um, in the Ramble, I think it's called. Yeah, a part that explicit. There are other parts of Central Park that say that your dog don't doesn't have to be on a leash, and then in the Ramble it is explicitly stated that your dog has to be on a leash. Now let's remind folks that when black folks were cooking and having a barbecue in Compton, California last year, and you're not supposed to have a barbecue, uh, a white woman called the cops when a little girl was selling lemonade in front of an apartment, right? 
a white woman called the cops on her. But this white woman in Central Park, where it explicitly says you have to have your dog on a leash, didn't have her dog on a leash. Black man Christian Cooper asked her, hey, I'm bird watching. Dogs disturb the birds. Can you please put your dog on a leash? The woman refuses, gets kind of spicy. He says something to the effect of, okay, I'm going to do something, but you're not going to like it. Now, what he's not going to like it was feeding the dog because mm -hmm. he says dog owners don't like when you feed their dogs, which is very true because sometimes people be giving your dog stuff that will make them throw up. Um, so apparently the, the woman got really activated when he said that. And that's when she starts to say, I'm going to call mm -hmm. the police. Stop recording me. I'm going to call the police. And she gets really close to him. And then um, she says, I'm going to tell them that an African-American man is threatening my life. She says it on yeah. camera. Yeah. That's how bold and invested in the racial contract that she was, is that she could say she had the courage to say on camera how she was going to lie to the police to put a black man's mm -hmm. life at risk. Yeah, she knew that exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah. And she knew exactly what she was doing. And she was empowered by a system that has historically empowered her to make decisions like that and has historically taught her that the nerve of this goddamn black man to tell me to put my dog on a leash and be right about it. Right. Who, who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? White people always think that they have the um, that they have the handle. I want to use a different word than that. On, on goodness and rightness. That's why white people always want to jump in and correct your language or white people always want to jump in and tell you what's the, I don't want to be a Trump supporter, but like the politically correct thing to say, like as soon as a white person has the opportunity to correct you, I've had white people try to correct me on black <laughs> shit. And I've been like, seriously, like one time I accidentally said on Facebook colored people and I met people of color. So many white people were like, I can't believe you said colored. Bitch, <laughs> I can say colored, but I didn't want to. I'm colored, okay? If any colored ass person can say colored, it's my black ass. All right, shut up. So anyways, I say all that to say, like she was probably so enraged at the nerve of a black person to correct her when her entire life, right? And all of these systems that we see, whether it says it explicitly or inexplicitly, mm -hmm. um, have taught her that she is right, right that she's like the sacred, right? Her white feminine body is sacred for a black man to violate mm -hmm. that. Of course, she's going to tell him that I'm going to set you up right. to get killed because that's what that statement uh, is, right? And I mean, yeah, totally. And she is tapping into a cultural image that goes back centuries, you know, that white women have mm -hmm. to be protected and that she's. Oh, Miss right. Millie ass. What's amazing about that video is that it was on video, is that it was said out loud. She said yeah. it on yes. video. She said it yeah. on video. I mean, the only thing that I think could have made it more explicit is if she said, because I know the police kill <laughs> right. people. Like that's the only thing that yeah, could right. have made it more explicit, but it was so like, yeah. it was, it was crazy. Yeah. It actually, I started like, I saw, I heard about that. And then I heard about, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but um, I, I heard about George no, Floyd. Let's talk about death, it now. And yeah. I, yeah. So it's Miss Millie ass Amy Coopers, the white woman that called the cops on the bird watching ass black man. 
that what she wanted to happen to Christian Cooper is what happened to George right. Floyd. Yeah. Right. She's seen enough George Floyd's to know that if she called the police and said a African-American man is threatening my life. Right. When when the police hear threatening a life, they think that they're like a, a deadly mm-hmm. threat. Right. That language indicates that I want them to come here prepared to encounter somebody that's trying to end their life and my life. So that means the police are going to come with weapons or the police are going to come super heavy duty, ready to kill somebody. Right. The language that she used completely indicates that what didn't happen, fortunately, to Christian Mm -hmm. Cooper is what did happen to George Floyd in Minneapolis. Man, I, I think about that and I'm like, what saved Christian Cooper's life. What was it? He left. He left. He left before the cops got there. Everybody knows in a big city, you can usually dip before cops get there. That's true. But that's the only reason. And he had video. And he had video. But the video wouldn't have saved him if the cops rolled up. They probably would have yeah, thought his no. camera was a gun. Uh, yeah. I mean, we probably would have just had yeah. another black person die on video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know. Oh God. I mean, like they don't even stop when they're being videoed. And I mean, that goes into the, the, yeah. um, I haven't watched I, the video, so I don't no. actually know what happened. Yeah. I, I refuse to watch black people get murdered in front of me. I refuse to re-traumatize my body. I've, I've been really into this concept that trauma is passed down by generations. Mm-hmm. So like, I already am navigating the trauma of my ancestors that were enslaved in North Carolina. I'm not re-traumatizing mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen the video either. Uh, I have been, I have read about it. Um, Chris, have you seen it? I didn't watch it either. Okay. Well, I mean, enough, enough people yeah. tell you what for happened. Those and people you see who that picture, I where? guess rely on our podcast for the news. I mean, first of all, like, not, not probably not great, but we're, I'm flattered. Yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah, it's cute. A black man in Minneapolis was killed by a police officer who knelt on his neck until he couldn't breathe. While he was yelling yeah. out, my mm-hmm. stomach hurts, my neck hurts, everything hurts. Oh, God, they're going to yeah. kill me. Yeah. And they did. Uh, and there were three other police officers standing around and also bystanders, which leads into this thing that's happening right now in Minneapolis, which is rioting and looting. Um, and there are these videos of, yeah. of Minneapolis on fire. As it should Let's be. talk about that. Uh, let's talk about a reaction to, to, to rioting. My reaction, give me a bag of Swedish fish while you win that target. We have please. been, <laughs> Bethany and her love of Swedish okay. fish, the, the go-to <laughs> snack for, for a riot. Don't set the all on fire. Whatever you do. <laughs> Don't light up the Swedish fish. Up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk because when you get to that propane uh, ran in our previous episode about reform versus revolution, ran criticized us probably just justifiably ran is getting a, a lot of air time in today's episode about how Rand, you're going to be the next white guy on uh, on oh. this podcast. Oh, we should wow, totally okay. put Rand on. We're making promises here. <laughs> yeah, we only trade out the white guys. <laughs> That's right. 
Andrew nor myself have ever not been um, in an episode. Yeah, so Rand's revolution right, right there. So Rand's um it point, just uh, justifiably pointed out that we probably didn't talk enough about the revolutionary aspect of this. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about this. I mean, Bethany, you're saying that like the rioting is justified. Do you want to talk about why you feel that way? Absolutely the rioting is justified, right? Like we have been told since we have arrived in America that our bodies are just products, right? And our bodies are disposable products. So you know what? Like you seem to value our labor and our bodies as products way more than you or way less than you value this fucking Target or Walmart or whatever else. So I'm going to take that shit, right? Like fuck this shit that you value. Fuck all these um buildings that you think are, are worth so much. No, fuck that shit. I'm going to assert my value. And it seems like the only way you pay attention to me when I speak up is when I wreck that shit. So burn it all down. Burn that mm. bitch down. Yeah. I, the point that I'm trying to make is like our humanity is not seen until we make a fuss. I wish we could riot in every city. I wish we could riot in every fucking city right now. Because like th- for you... First of all, I think it takes a lot to kill somebody, period. Like that takes a lot of effort and a lot of like, um, I think you kind of have to compromise your humanity. Oh, yeah. Like I accidentally kicked my friend the other day and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like my immediate response was like, oh, shit, I kicked the hell out of you accidentally. Mm -hmm. Um, I just meant to walk past you. I kicked the shit out of you. Um, So like. For, for you to kneel on somebody's neck and to hear them cry out, oh God, they're going to kill. To hear them cry out to God and you were still committed to what you were doing, you cannot see the humanity in that person, right? And I struggle to see the humanity in you, but I'm very angry this week, right? And I don't necessarily, I, I want to... I want to not feel that way, right? I want Jesus to touch me in a way that I don't mm-hmm. feel that way. But I feel, yeah. yeah, you cannot possibly see the humanity in that person, right? So if the only way I can get you to see my humanity, if the only way I can get you to really recognize my cry is to burn this bitch down, I'll burn this motherfucker to the motherfucking ground. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Andrew? I, I'm laughing because, like, I'm looking at Chris, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, like, I kind of want to be like, all right, now over to you, Chris. The way I approach it now is I am committed to what I think is effective. I am hesitant to say this because we go to an Anabaptist church. Um, but if the thoughts and reflections <laughs> conveyed in this podcast are not a reflection. Of thank you very much. That was perfect. Uh, <laughs> the, w- the way I think about, I mean, if the violence is the most effective option to achieve justice, then I don't really have any objection to violence. I think mm-hmm. what no change has been affected from people talking nicely and sending tweets and letters. The only way that change has ever happened is with a ton of bloodshed. Do I want that? No. But do I recognize that that is the only thing that has made people move and shake historically? 
Yes. Bethany coming a hundred percent on the side of revolution right now. Yeah. I didn't even realize I felt this way either, but like the more we're talking about it, the more I'm like, I don't think the FBI is going to be knocking on my door. <laughs> we might have to edit some of this shit out. So Bethany Stewart, come on, bitch. Like they're going to have me out. But I don't think America can keep going on like this. Something's going to have to fucking happen. And I honestly think the seeds of revolution are happening with this COVID-19 things. I think that some states are going to feel slighted, especially blacker states. You know what I mean? Like, or even states with poor white people. And I think not tomorrow, not next year, but I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see certain states that are going to want to kind of separate from the country. I do not think America can be this big anymore. And I do not think that America can go on with this like type mm. of leadership. Oh, California's leaving. Shit, get rid of Florida. We don't um, no, I hear what you're saying, Bethany. And it reminds right. me of, well, sorry, Chris, were you going to say something? I don't know. I mean, like, so you, we were joking about me and speaking after Bethany, like my, my hot take on this, like my, I'm, I'm fine with a target being burnt to the ground. That's, that's totally okay with me. Like violence, if nothing else is an expression of anger and grief. And like, we need to pay attention to that. Um, my fear is that the only thing we'll see is black people rioting and forget again, their humanity, because we just see black people messing things up and, and, and miss the point altogether in that equation. Like, mm. But we, in missing the point, that's white supremacy. What? Yeah. I think there needs to be black people like me that keep on emphasizing that this rioting and violence means something. Well, yes, it does. It absolutely does. And y'all motherfuckers love telling that story about the fucking forefathers throwing some goddamn Lipton tea in the fucking Boston River or whatever. But when it comes to black people that want to actually fucking, they love that fucking brisk story. But when it comes to black people that are trying to actually affect change, now you don't, now revolution looks different. Now right. you don't understand revolution, right. but you celebrate the shit and drink some fucking Corona every July 4th to mm. celebrate revolution. Revolution isn't different just because it's, um, it's enacted by people that you think you're better than or people whose humanity you don't recognize. Revolution is revolution, motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, let me try to frame what all of what I think we're all saying here. I, I, what we're saying isn't anything new. I, Dr. King makes a speech where he directly responds to rioting. So let me let me read this part of the speech here. Um, I would be the first to say I'm still committed to militant, powerful, massive nonviolence as the most potent weapon in grappling with the problem from a direct action point of view. So Dr. King is very being very pragmatic there. But he goes on to say, he goes on to talk about some practical reasons why rioting is not the best strategy. So again, he's being pragmatic. A riot merely intensifies the fears of the white community while relieving the guilt. That's kind of what you're saying, Chris, that a riot just yeah. kind of justifies white fear. And I fear that we must always work with effective, powerful weapon and method that brings about tangible results. But it is not enough for me to stand before you tonight and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without at the same time condemning the contingent, intolerable conditions that exist in our society. Those conditions are the things that mm -hmm. cause individuals to feel they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions to get attention. And yeah. I must say tonight that a riot is the language of the unheard. 
They're, mm-hmm. saying, they're saying the alternative is you're going to stand on my neck until I die. Right. That's not. I just want to emphasize that like last line. Sorry, Chris, but yeah, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. A riot is the language of the unheard. That's a word. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, Dr. King is totally right. The reason riots happen is because of these unaddressed issues. Yeah. When when the the country is like this, rioting is inevitable. So if you want to stop rioting, mm-hmm. you have to address these conditions. You have to listen, listen to the unheard. To people. Um, and you know what, Bethany, what you're saying t- right now reminds me of John Brown, the famous abolitionist. The raid on Harper's Ferry. Trying to start an armed insurrection, uh, a, a, an armed slave yeah. insurrection. I think about um, that shit, honestly. But I know my mom would be so upset. And what he says, his last words are, I am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away, but with blood. And then they hung him. Mm -hmm. And then the civil war happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So Beth, I, I hope that it's not as inevitable as John Brown thought it was, or that you think it is. I think it's quite possible that it is inevitable. Mm -hmm. My hope is that we can, we can address the issues before uh, before the only language is the language of the unheard. Mm-hmm. Optimism seems pretty far away right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally get what you're saying. You know, And I want to be clear that like, I, I am nonviolent. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I think about slapping people, but I do believe in the, um, in the beauty of nonviolence. So when I think of a revolution, honestly, I think just like I would die, you know, like, I'm willing to die for this cause. Again, my mom would be so upset to hear me say that. But like, I don't see myself being at the forefront shooting a gun. Like, I don't see that. But I do think there's some nobility and um, real change that happens in like innocent, clean bloodshed. Yeah, you can't just dismiss a riot as destructive. You have you have to hear the anger and the hurt in the expression because people who are people who are living comfortable lives don't riot Mm-mm. right like, when's the last time bill gates flipped a car over with his friends with all his billionaire friends they don't do that shit they do do oh, it in philly when the eagles win the super bowl <laughs> comfortable people riot over stupid shit yes. but in most cases sorry i always think about the super bowl one of the best no you're not wrong life. right they're they're like there's frats and then there's frustration and those aren't the same yeah. thing We've probably, are we okay leaving it there? Do we want to talk about faith and how faith influences the way we manage this shit? (laughs) Do we already kind of do this? We kind of touched on it. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of have talked about how like we root our politics in faith. How does faith affect the way we look at it? Yeah. I think we're fine. Um, Yeah. So the last thing we like to do is talk about what we're into this week. Um, Bethany, you want to kick us off? So I am into bacon because bacon is delicious. And I was deprived of bacon as a kid, um, went to college and was exposed to the deliciousness, the holy deliciousness of bacon. And I'm just really into bacon. Have I ever, Chris, you've heard my bacon gate story, haven't you? Yes. Oh my goodness. Andrew, have you ever heard my bacon gate story? I have no idea. That's right. You told them. Bacon gate 2017. All right. Oh boy. We'll tell it on the podcast because I don't yep. work That's at this job it. anymore, so they can't fire me for it. Yo, next mini sode. Bam. Yeah. 
maybe this will be like a part two to this episode. Um, man, I, I think I'm just so inspired by the food. I, I, I just finished up um, some double cream brie from Aldi that was delicious. Mm. I've been eating it with everything. I, I also, the thing I actually feel more strongly about though, is there was something that I watched this week that I wanted to be into and I didn't like it. And it was um, the new Netflix movie with um, Come On On Johnny and um, Issa Rae, uh-huh. Lovebirds. Oh, it's not I didn't good. like it. You didn't like it? I didn't like it. I Here's here's what I was hoping for. First of all, like if you watch the trailer, you've seen the movie. Okay. I hate that. Don't watch the trailer if you're going to watch this movie. You won't see anything else. But also, I wanted the like... like they're such a cute couple. I really wanted them to play that up more from like, and, and like they, they start the movie by like running from the cops because they're two Brown people that, um, that just witnessed a murder. And so I'm like, I, I really wanted to see like race play more into it. And it just ended up being like really cartoony sort of. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, it fell short of like the promise of those two actors as a couple for me. Interesting. Well, that is yeah. what I'm into. I really liked it. <laughs> oh. I really like the lovebirds. Plot twist. Plot yeah. twist. No. I the lo- we did not plan that. I thought Kumail Nanjiani was hilarious. Uh, I called the ending of the movie from the start, Andrew. I hate movies like that. Okay. But go ahead. I, I thought time. it was funny. I, li- I liked it a lot. I recommend it. Chris doesn't, so. Yeah. One thumb well, down, I one thumb I need to watch it to yeah. be the deciding factor. <laughs> yes. Um, cool. So, um... Special thanks to Luke Bartolome, our communications manager, and uh, Jared Selby does our theme song. And Joe Mahoney. Oh, yeah, we miss Joe Mahoney. Yeah. We love you, Joe. And if you guys are interested in, to, in talking to us more about how you're navigating race and faith, um, be sure to email us at circlemobilizing at gmail.com because we really want to hear from you. So with that being said, stay black, Little Mermaid, and get some bacon. 